today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. These traits that he's to pursue in his life, they actually should, to you and I, sound like a pretty familiar list. If you think back to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit within our lives. Remember that list that Paul gives there in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Very similar to what he is telling Timothy here. These are the things that you want to pursue. And beloved, I want to submit to you today that you really can't have those things unless the Holy Spirit is the one that's controlling your life. Are we pursuing the right things? Sometimes it can be hard to know what to pursue. In today's message from Pastor David, we learn through Paul's warning to Timothy about what the right pursuits are. Love, patience, kindness, and goodness are some of the traits Paul lists in Galatians chapter 5 as honorable pursuits. However, without the Holy Spirit leading our lives, this list can become very hard to meet. Pursue God through His Word daily, and the Holy Spirit will show you what to pursue. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, Our Call and Work of Ministry. Maybe you're not looking for the perfect church this morning. Maybe what you're looking for is the perfect pastor. What? <laughs> so again, you, you, you still haven't found him, okay? But there uh, was a, a little article. It's quite, quite old. Maybe some of you have heard it before, but it bears repeating today that uh, after years of research, the profile of the perfect pastor has been developed. The perfect pastor preaches exactly 15 minutes. So you know if you've been here for long, this isn't going to be it. And yet in those 15 minutes, he's still able to present deep biblical truths, touch on the original languages, give a full and present application to the lives of the congregation, both old and young, and through it all, give a clear and a precise and full presentation of the gospel. He speaks against sin, but he never embarrasses anyone. After an hour of early morning personal prayer time, he works from 8 o'clock in the morning until midnight. He's also the church janitor, the lawn keeper, and the maintenance man, as well as always being available for after-hours emergency calls. He makes no more than $500 a week, and yet he's able to take good care of his family, drive a trustworthy and decent vehicle. His clothes are always in style. He gives over $100 in tithes to the church every week, and he supports several missionary endeavors. He is 35 years old, and he's been preaching for at least 25 years. He's wonderfully gentle and handsome. Why does that one get so many laughs? I don't know. 
He loves to work with teenagers, and he spends countless hours with senior citizens. He makes 15 calls daily on shut-ins, hospital patients, church families, and yet he is always in his office when needed. Well, that might sound a little ridiculous. Hopefully, it sounds a whole lot ridiculous to you. But it does come close sometimes to the expectations that some people have toward their pastors or their pastoral staff. But I want to look today really at at the, the real needs and the real calling for those that are not only in pastoral staff, but we're going to see this morning that the call for the pastoral staff is actually the same call for every believer in Christ. We look today and we are in the book of 1 Timothy. We've been going through 1 Timothy for a while now. We are in the sixth chapter, the final verses of that sixth chapter. Throughout this book, Paul has given Timothy a a variety of warnings, and here now in the closing paragraphs of his letter to young Timothy, a young pastor there at the church or the churches of Ephesus, he gives him some final charges as a minister of the gospel. So we are in the book of 1 Timothy, we're in chapter 6, beginning down in verse 11. So I invite you to follow along as I read here. Paul writing to Timothy, He says, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot and blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. He goes on to say, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give and willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust avoiding the profane and the idle babblings and the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you, and amen. If we were to take this little section, I believe that we could clearly see that there's five differing charges or directives that that Paul gives to Timothy with a couple of side points and few clarifications in those charges. If you're taking notes, it's actually five points that we'll be looking at. The first one is flee these things and pursue other things, and we'll look at that in a moment. The second one is to fight the good fight of faith. Along with that is lay hold of eternal life. The third one is keep this commandment without spot and blameless. The subpoint there is until the Lord Jesus Christ appearing. The fourth one is command those who are rich in this present age. And the subpoint is not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. 
And then the fifth one is guard what was committed to your trust with a subpoint of avoid the profane, the idle babblings and the contradictions of what's falsely called knowledge. This entire letter of of 1 Timothy has been filled with warnings and teachings from the Apostle Paul. And he's giving warnings to Timothy to look out for these false teachers. Look, watch out and be careful for their, their false doctrines that come in. And he shared with Timothy what is required of elders and of deacons. He's given directions on how you're to give honor to widows and to the elders, and yes, even to their masters, to their employers, as we talked about, I believe, last week, but also this whole idea of during the, that time period that there were slaves and there were masters. How do I, as a Christian, live under that? He spoke also of a host of other issues in this book, but now Paul is zeroing in to Timothy on the life of the minister himself. What does it take to be one who ministers before God and before his people? And in the time remaining, I want us to be able to look at some of these characteristics. Stepping away from the humor of, hopefully the humor, of the introductory remarks, I want to give you actually uh, an actual study that was taken several years ago. A survey was taken of churches across America by the American Association of Theological Schools. Now, each church was asked to list the qualities desired in a minister that they would consider employing. Well, after first affirming the need that the qualifications found here in 1 Timothy were necessary, some of the following characteristics were listed. We're listed in order of number one, that there be humility. Number two, that there be honesty. Number three, a good example in daily living. And fourthly, excellence in ministerial skills. In other words, preaching, counseling, teaching, etc. Now, these listed characteristics that the American Association of Theological Schools and these churches pulled together, actually, it's not too far from what Timothy shares here of what a minister ought to be. We look at the first point, and in the opening portions of the verse that we looked at this morning, Paul tells Timothy to flee these things. Well, what things is he saying to flee from? Well, I believe that it goes back all the way up to verse 5, where at the end of verse 5, he also says, from such withdraw yourself. There's no doubt but that the things and the people that Paul is referring to are the teachings, the actions, and the attitudes of these false teachers. Flee from these things, from such withdraw yourself. In verse 4, Paul gives the characteristics of these false teachers. Look with me there in verse 4 of chapter 6. Paul speaks about the fact that they are proud, they're, they, they're knowing nothing, they're obsessed with disputes, they're, they're arguments over words, they're filled with envy and strife and rivaling and evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. This is what he is to flee from, though, as he Paul continues on, flee from those things. But then what are you to pursue? Well, he goes on there in verse 11 to say, these are the things that you're to pursue, righteousness and godliness and faith and love and patience and gentleness. Those things that he was to flee from are those things that led to pride and to arrogance and to envy and all kinds of sinful behavior and attitudes. But the things that he is to pursue here 
They actually come from an attitude of humility and absolute dependence upon the Holy Spirit working within his life. These traits that he's to pursue in his life, they actually should, to you and I, sound like a pretty familiar list. If you think back to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit within our lives. Remember that list that Paul gives there in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Very similar to what he is telling Timothy here. These are the things that you want to pursue. And beloved, I want to submit to you today that you really can't have those things unless the Holy Spirit is the one that's controlling your life. In the flesh, these things, you cannot maintain them for very long. Oh, I can maintain joy for a little while until something happens. And then when something negative happens, it takes my joy away, unless I'm being led and filled by the Holy Spirit. Oh, I'll be patient with you for a moment until you mess up, and then my patience is gone. I've already shared with you the problem I have with patience, but it's when the Holy Spirit is working that we can have patience with one another. I believe that what Paul is telling Timothy here is that the Christ-like character of an individual who is filled with the Holy Spirit That's what makes a solid minister of the gospel. And here he's telling Timothy, Timothy, you need to pursue after these things. But once again, we have to see that the characteristics that Paul gives to Timothy here in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy and the close similarity of those things that he listed in Galatians chapter 5 remind us that actually this calling is for all of us. It's the same list for all of us. We can't look at Galatians chapter 5 and say, oh, that's only for the pastors. No, he's talking to the church there. So you see, we're all called, in essence, to that same calling of personal character, personal attitude, actions, and being filled and equipped and empowered and gifted and given fruit by the Holy Spirit within our lives. The characteristics, the responsibilities are the same. Pursue these things. He says to Timothy, I want to tell you that also, church, it's for you and I to pursue these things, each one of us as a part of the body of Christ. The second point that Paul makes in this section of verses we're looking at here, he encourages the young pastor in verse 12, to fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. As he tells them here to, to, to fight the good fight of faith, that's with the understanding, gang, that the enemy of our souls is continually fighting against us in our walk of faith. You declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, suddenly the enemy is going to come after you in every way, shape, form, and fashion that he can. And he does not take holiday, amen? He doesn't work a nine-to-five job off on the weekends. No, he is there continually to be able to affect and discourage and, and distract you in any way that he can, to knock you and I off balance and off track. Is this a word just for pastors? No, church, it's a word for all of us because the battle does happen with each one of us who claim the name of Jesus. That battle will continue on for as long as we're carrying this carcass around. 
As we drag this carcass day in and day out, man, the enemy's going to come after us every way that he can. Don't be fooled. Hey, the battle's over. I don't need to worry about that. Listen, the war has been won by our Lord Jesus, but there are still skirmishes and battles that the enemy will try to take you out of the joy, out of the fulfillment, and out of the completeness that you and I ought to have as believers in Jesus Christ. This idea of fighting is an active image. It's not just a singular battle that we are in. Beloved, we are in this continual skirmish, these continual attacks of the enemy. The very Greek word that Paul uses here is actually the word for agonize, to agonize. It's that constant, it's that deep emphasis. That's that idea that, man, I need to understand the enemy can attack me in any way possible. He can attack me in, man, after, as, as a pastor, I'm just throwing this out for you guys. Okay, this isn't for anybody else. This is just between you and me, okay? He can attack me as a pastor after we've had a great service and after people are moved and, man, uh, again, you, you just know the Holy Spirit's been there empowered. The enemy will come up and, oh, that's a great service you did there, David. Great job. Wow, you expounded the word so powerfully there. And suddenly, guess what? David is dealing with his pride. David is dealing with his arrogance. I know most of you don't think that I have pride and arrogance, but uh, yeah, I, I deal with that on a regular basis too. The battle goes on, beloved, but yet at the same time, we need to understand that as we are fighting these battles, as we are standing against the enemy of our souls, we need to continually remember what? Greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. We need to fight that battle with the full assurance that we have of eternal life that is ours, that has been given to us by grace through faith, that there was nothing that we could do. It was the gift of God, and we have this life. And even as he tells Timothy there, you have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Therefore, fight that good fight of faith. We do baptisms here, and we like doing it in front of the whole church because, again, it's the beginning of a profession, a confession, a declaration of our faith in Jesus Christ. Man, I was a sinner, but I came to Christ. He cleansed me of my sin. I'm totally dependent upon him. I want to die in order that he might live through me. That's the very essence of baptism. But, beloved, that cannot be the only confession of your faith. That cannot be the only declaration of your faith. You and I need to be equipped equipped in our life with the knowledge of the Word of God in obedience to the Spirit of God to be able to declare the grace and the goodness of God whenever that opportunity avails us. Be ready both in season and out of season to give reason for the hope that is within you. Fight the good fight of faith. Walk live and do battle in the manner in which you were called and you were called by the power of the Spirit of God within your life. Beloved, remember, we are in that battle. The third thing that Paul tells Timothy here, 
these next few verses, again, it's a, it's, it's a powerful, it's a serious directive here of Paul to Timothy as a believer, but more importantly, even as a minister of the gospel. And Paul wraps this charge of Timothy in this beautiful doxology to the Lord Jesus Christ. What is a doxology? It's words of praise, words of praise. And in the midst of that, he gives this directive. Look what he says here in verse 13. He tells Timothy, I I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you, what? Keep this commandment without spot and blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Right in the midst of this, surrounding this command, Paul just breaks out in these words of praise, these declarations. He surrounds the command with the praise and with the worship toward the greatness of Jesus. And it brings about then actually an even more solemn call for Timothy to live his life blameless and spotless. And in essence, what Paul is telling him, do everything that you can do to live your life blameless and spotless. Not so much because of the call of your life as a minister, as important as that is, but because the very one who called you, you are representing to the world around you. You are representing the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Timothy, remain spotless and blameless before the world. In other words, don't give the enemy an opportunity to blaspheme God. That was the charge that Nathan gave to David when David fell into sin with Bathsheba. And Nathan came to David and says, you have given the enemy an opportunity to blaspheme God by the choices and by the actions and the attitudes you have in your life. Paul, once again, you know, in in the midst of this, the, the, the importance of it all, I believe he just suddenly breaks out in this worship. Uh, again, the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, blessed only potentate, the King of kings, Lord of lords, who has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, and on he goes. We, we see this in Paul's writings in several occasions. We've commented on it as we've gone through Timothy. He's already done it a couple of times here in First Timothy. One of these days we'll do a study, maybe on a Wednesday night, of just these words of praise, these declarations, these doxologies that, that Paul just seems to suddenly break out with. Why does he do that? I think because Paul is so excited about the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it just flows out of him. Now, rather, he's writing this letter, but most people believe that he was dictating the letter and there was a secretary that was writing. Can you imagine being the guy writing out as Paul is, is speaking these words of directions? And all of a sudden he breaks out, oh, the Lord who is blessed and, and the only potentate, the King of kings, he is the Lord of lords. And you're just going, man, this guy's going off again. He's just having a worship time. He's just having this prayer, but he's writing it down. And I'm glad that they wrote it down for us to be able to look and see the heart of this man. Again, we don't know, really, is this something that just came out of Paul from the inner being, or was this actually a a song that the early church sang, and he's just 
repeating it. I don't know, but in my heart, I kind of believe it's just an outflowing of the Spirit of God from Paul's life. There's so much to learn from the pages of 1 Timothy, but sadly, we've come to the conclusion of today's message with Pastor David. You don't have to wait to hear another edition of The Open Word. Simply visit our website at theopenword.com and click on Teachings to download several past messages taught by Pastor David. You can also subscribe to our podcast to get each teaching as soon as it's made available. We're so glad you're part of our listening audience, and we'd love to connect with you. Find us on Facebook, learn more about us at theopenword.com, or just give us a call. We love hearing from our listeners. Our phone number is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. And if you live in or are visiting the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has an invitation just for you. Thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and at 11 o'clock a.m. and on Wednesdays and Saturday at 7.30 p.m. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word today. May God bless your continuing study of God's Word Join us next time for more from 1 Timothy right here on The Open Word.